We are glad that you are here and welcome. Um, it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Kevin, for uh, what you do at Good Friday service and bringing that to our community because I, I've seen a lot of people there and uh, lives are touched. All. And what a, what, a, what a good time together in the Lord that we have on those Fridays. And so thank you for, for heading that up. <clears throat> um, I, I wanted to share a little story with you this morning that's obviously in the Bible. Uh, but what, what this is building up to, how many weeks are we away from hunting eggs and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior? Two weeks, amen? Two weeks. So who's coming to the egg hunt? <laughs> Not many of you. I have heard, heard a small one say, me. Oh, yeah, uh, Grant, you're coming, aren't you, buddy? Yeah, man. Well, this event that I wanted to share with you this morning in the book of Matthew, uh, we're going to, you can go ahead and get ready, but this is, a, this, this probably about, this, this event probably took place about a week before uh, what we call Palm Sunday, before Christ triumphantly, can't even say that word, he triumphantly, he, he, he came into Jerusalem on the donkey, remember? And everybody was raving palm branches. So this is, like I said, about a week before that actually took place. So what we're going to do, look at is how Jesus encountered uh, a couple of people. And, 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 and what we're going to look at, obviously we're at a Baptist church, so we need three points, right? Okay, so uh, we're going to look at the crowd, we're going to look at the confession, and we're going to look at the compassion of Jesus Christ. And so encountering Jesus is the, I don't know if you want to title the, the message, uh, encountering, encountering Jesus. And here's a question that I have a lot of times, and you can ask Pastor Frank, um, we talk about this a lot, and change doesn't always come easy for us, does it? I mean, change is not an easy thing, especially, Fidel, when we get older. Especially, Fidel, so get, get, look forward to that, buddy. Um, but, you know, the old, saying, the old saying goes, a leopard can't change his spots, right? Well, you know, if I guess if he fell in a mud puddle, they'd change for a moment. But, they, but when you wash him up clean, he still, got, he still has the, the spots. So this is my question for us today is where did we get this idea that we can't change. Where did this idea come from that we cannot change? Maybe from statements like this, and here we go. It's just my nature to worry. Maybe that's a statement that we get caught up in. Or maybe I'm always pessimistic, I'm just that way. I mean, sometimes we are comfortable in who we are and not willing to change because, you know, it's just going to create work. Or maybe another statement that we get caught up in is, I have a bad temper, I just can't help it. If Jaden was here, he would like this one, Tara. You know, I'm just a redhead. We've heard that one, right? Well, they're redhead, they don't get it, they got issues, you know. Uh, we'll maybe save that for next service for Jaden. Um, but, you know, what, would we make similar statements with our body? If you think about it, would we make similar statements with our body? Okay, like, like this. It's just my nature to have a broken leg. I can't help it. 
That doesn't make sense, does it, Kathy? No, it doesn't make sense. There's nothing about it uh, that makes sense. And, and, and of course, if our bodies malfunctioned, if we had an issue with our body, don't there? What do we do? We seek help, don't we? We we go to the doctor and say, "Hey, man, my leg don't work, and can you help me?" Um, I think we can do that with our hearts. I believe we can do that with our heart. There's nothing um, that that keeps us from uh, growing with God. And so here's the thing. God wants to transform us, uh, each of us, in a, in a dramatic way. And when I say a dramatic way, I mean he wants us to have a heart like his. He wants change to happen. Okay, and this is what he expects, and this is what he wants. How about this? Who's still holding on? Who's still accomplishing their New Year's resolution? Kevin Kevin did, and, and Buster did. He said he didn't take one, so it's easy for him. But, you know, uh, willpower is what it takes to, to continue on that, that resolution, isn't it? Uh, our best intentions are not enough. Is this is what we got to remember. Our best intentions are not enough. But what we need is an encounter with Christ. What we need is an encounter with Christ. And, you know, um, almost 13 years ago, that happened for me. You know, I, I went to church camp, and I, I saw uh, a lot of young people worshiping God. And I thought to myself, man, I want that. But then instantly, Satan attacked my mind, and he said, well, you know those bunch of hypocrites hypocritical teenagers are doing drugs and having sex and doing all this sin. Who are they? Satan attacked me like that. And immediately I remember going into my room and I was like, okay, Lord, I'm not a teenager anymore. Thank God. But I need help. And if you help me with the struggles that I have in my life, I'm going to go to LaBelle and and, and I'm going to live for you. There was a radical change in my life. And I'm not bragging, I'm bragging on the Lord. Because he changed my life. And so, we need this encounter with Christ. I heard a hilarious story, I read a story about a new convert that had asked to share their testimony in church about the difference uh, accepting Jesus had made in her life. Listen to what she said, Fidel. She, she nervously walked up to the pulpit and declared that I am so glad that I got saved. Jesus has really turned my heart around. For example, she says, I have an uncle that I used to hate. And, 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 and I vowed that I would never even go to his funeral. She said, but when I met Jesus, now I just can't wait to go to his funeral. <laughs> Dumb, right? I get it. I mean, the truth is Jesus does change our hearts and our lives, doesn't he? He does. He changes our hearts and our lives. And, and people, here's the thing, we have to encounter him in a real way. We have to encounter Jesus in a real way. And you know what happens when people are really encounter, come into this encountering with Christ? Normally they don't stay the same. Normally they don't stay the same when this real thing happens. And Jesus changes everything. It's, it's really crazy. So this morning we're going to read about a couple of men who uh, know all about that. And as I said, in the book of Matthew, we're going to have it in the screen. So I invite you to, to read this story with us real quick. It's going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 29 through 34, and they are on the screen. Maybe. It's... Bam. Bam. 
Sir? Matthew, it's on there. I had it in there. Matthew chapter 20, verses uh, 29 through 34 was on the screen, or it was in the computer, and someone deleted it. No worries, I have my Bible, but I don't have my glasses, so I'll try my best. Frank, could you hold that over there for me? Oh, good job, good job, Gregory. ASV version, but we'll work with that. It's okay. Um, And as they went out from Jericho, a great great multitude followed him. And behold, there were two men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more. Some verses, I'm sorry, some versions say they cried out all louder. Okay, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, this is, this, is, this is the part I like. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let us, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they covered, they recovered their sight and followed him. So, as I said, in Mark's version, this particular story is in the book of Mark also. In in, in chapter 10 of the book of Mark, it identifies one of the guys as Bartimaeus. We know that. It says that Bartimaeus was there. And two beggars, okay, two beggars. And this region of Jericho, in this area, it's only about 12 miles outside of Jerusalem. That's why I know, you know, they were were close to getting to to the, the finale there. Um... But this place was well known for his eye ointment. Um, very uh, a major city, and uh, they, they had this ointment they had come up with, with uh, that would help people with their eye problems. And so it's not surprising that a couple of blind guys were there looking for handouts and food, right? I mean, they, they knew where to go. They were looking for money. They were looking for bread. And here's my question. Why? Why wasn't someone helping them? You know, needy people on the streets holding up signs on the street corner saying, we'll work for money or we'll, I need food is not something that's just started in the 21st century, is it? I mean, this, this we just read where even back in Christ's day, the first century, people were, were doing this. Um, I mean, this was probably how they spent every day of their life. When I read this story, I think, man, how can I, what would life be like for them? I mean, day in and day out, imagine totally sightless, totally have no vision, and day in and day out, they're, they're here at this place for many years. We don't know how many years. Constantly looking for people to help them. They lack the modern treatment. You know, we can go get our cataracts taken out and see again, right? Or we can have what's it called, LASIK surgery. How many of you had, have had that? I mean, it works, doesn't it? Amen. Bartimaeus didn't have that privilege. Didn't have no privilege like that. They, they were out just begging. Um, forced to sit on the road and beg, you think about it, for help. Day in and day out. And this is, this is, what, this is where I struggle personally. And, and I do it too. I mean, I did it the other day. I was driving back from uh, um, Clewiston. And there was a car on the side of the road. 
had them big old fat 22 tires and wheels on it, and, I, and they were just sitting in the car with a big old flat tire, and I thought, well, I could stop and help, but I need to go. I did it. Most people probably ignored these two men when they walked by. When they walked by them. And you know, Bartimaeus and his buddy, they had their world turned completely upside down when they encountered Christ. When they encountered Jesus. So, here's my three points. (laughs) Here's my three points. We are in a Baptist church. I want to make sure we get that. Um, Three points I want to highlight in uh, the elements into this story. And maybe you can identify with some of these. I did. The first one I want us to draw our attention to is the crowd. The crowd of people. In Jericho was the home. Jericho was the home of an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Anyone know? I'll help you. Rahab. <laughs> I didn't give you enough time because I didn't. That's kind of a hard one. But, you know, on, uh, it was just a day's journey to Jerusalem, about 12 miles, they say. So I'm sure the air was ex- filled with excitement as Jesus and the multitudes, as the big crowd was coming, surely everybody heard, hey, you know, what's this guy's doing some crazy things? And, and big crowds were following him. And obviously a lot of them maybe been on their way, have been on their way to Jerusalem, to on their pilgrimage, what they call it, to celebrate the Feast of Passover. Maybe, you know, they were headed that way, big crowds. And, and you think about it, Jesus and his entourage. I know he didn't think of it like that, but he had one. I mean, people were following him. And, and, and uh, think about it, people singing out praises, and they were happy, and they were singing. And, and um, others were just like, can I get a glimpse of Jesus as all these people were around? You ever been in a big crowd, and you're trying to get to the person that everybody's around, and you just can't get there? I mean, they're blocking the way. Uh, there's a lot more traffic, I'm pretty sure, in the, in the area that Bartimaeus and his old buddy was used to seeing, I'm sure, with Jesus and all these people. So, you know, when, when, when they heard the noise, it says in Scripture, when they heard the noise, they asked what was happening. The book of Luke, this is also a story in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 18. But the, 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 Luke's gospel tells us, that the people told them that Jesus from Nazareth was passing by. Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. I mean, can't you see the excitement on Bartimaeus's face? I mean, can you see the excitement on his face when he heard the name Jesus? When he heard, as soon as he heard it, Scripture says he started shouting, started yelling out. What did the crowd do? The Bible says, the crowd said, be quiet. Scolded them, told them to be quiet. Why would they do that? Why would they say, shh, be quiet? Put yourself in the moment. I mean, the crowd was full of enthusiasm and they were following Jesus to the city. They didn't want anything to disrupt their their parade or their, uh, uh, what is that? That we call in Guatemala where they do that at Easter? Procession. Thank you, Tara. They didn't want anything to mess up their procession. I mean, they had it organized and they were headed that way. <laughs> I, their motives may varied. I don't know. Uh, maybe uh, they thought it was Jesus was too important to be fooling with these old blind guys that were begging all the time, stinky and dirty and 
you know, hey, they don't need to bother you. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe they figured that the beggars were going to ask for money, being that he had all these people around, and he was like, hey, Jesus, can you hook us up? I see all these people, you know, hook me up. Maybe they thought that. I don't know. Hoping, maybe they were, you know, thinking that these guys are trying to take advantage of Jesus and his, and his followers. His celebrity status at the moment, you think about it. But whatever their reasons, they, uh, they rebuked these blind men who were crying out. I mean, think about this. This is what I want us to think about today. The crowd, sadly. The crowd following Jesus is often the roadblock to others who are crying out for his mercy. The crowd following Jesus is often the roadblock to the people who are crying out for Jesus. In 2009, this guy, uh, a man named Dan Merchant, filmed a a documentary uh, about how the church is perceived by non-Christians. It was titled, Lord Save Us From Your Followers. (laughs) In it, it, the guy Dan hits the streets, uh, Fidel, and he's got a jumpsuit on and he's plaited all up with some really contradicting bumper stickers, and he's walking around, and uh, he's trying to find a, a bunch of ordinary citizens to ask them about Christianity and, and Jesus. And it said in his, in his article that the reoccurring theme was Christians are hypocritical and snobby. This was a reoccurring theme. Now from non-believers, I'm, I'm telling you, non-believers, but here's what they said. But Jesus, he's kind of cool. This was the theme that this guy came up with. And so, I mean, the church, you and I, the believers, not the building, the church, by not being Christ-like, is actually an obstacle for people who may be open to Christ himself. I mean, someone once said that the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but then they go out and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. People want to see Christ in our life. You know, I tell the young people, I'm the youth pastor here, and, and I tell them all the time, I say, look, um, well, I don't even know what I was going to tell them. <laughs> I do, but I'm just trying to... Christ wants... If, if someone has to say, are you a Christian? If someone asks you, hey, are you a Christian? Man, you're not living your life right. They should just know, man, you must be a Christian. That's what I tell the the, the young people. If someone has to ask you, oh, you're a Christian? (laughs) I mean, I want people to know where I stand. I mean, that's exactly... That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Christians acting like we do. And I'm not here to dun you or to come down on you for your sin. I'm just, you know, that's an article that happened. Exactly. That's exactly what the crowd following Jesus through Jericho was doing. They wanted to be in the glory of Jesus Christ, but they didn't want to share in his compassion. They wanted to be in the glory, but they didn't want to share in his compassion. I mean, think about it. I'm here to tell you that Christ, if we want to, if you, if you tell, if you like Christ, 
You need to be Christ-like. If you like Christ, you need to be, become Christ-like. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're driving people away from Jesus. We're pushing them away. And isn't that the goal here as a church? We're to bring people into the house of the Lord so they can experience the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the birth, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. We want them to experience that. That's our goal. You know, Scripture says that we are to make disciples, not believers. God's going to do that. We're to to teach them how to live Christ-like. And that's my job and Pastor Frank's job is to, to encourage you to be Christ-like. Thankfully, <laughs> this is what I'm thankful. Thankfully, Bartimaeus and his buddy, uh, they weren't uh, dissuaded by this crowd. <laughs> what did it say? They kept shouting out louder and in Scripture said more to get Jesus' attention. And here's the, the next element that I want us to talk about, uh, the important element of the confession. Jericho was, like I said, a wealthy city in the region, and obviously they were not, uh, it wasn't uncommon to have beggars and um, even robbers around the area. This was a common thing. Um, so here's the thing, cries for help were a common place on the streets. I mean, they heard people all the time, help me, help me, you know, because we had people getting robbed. We had people begging all the time because it was a big city, so a lot of people were around. We know, we've seen how that attracts, haven't we? But it's just these two blind men were shouting, shouting for help. It's not just these two blind men that were shouting for help. That's important. It's who they were shouting for that's important. They were shouting for the Savior. You know, although the crowd tried to shut them up and say, be quiet, the Bible says they shouted louder, and then they said, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now, the Son of David was a, is a messianic title because the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would come in the line of David. And I have scripture for that if you want to look at it. It's Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 11.1, 1, uh, Jeremiah 23.11, and the list goes on and on. It was predicted, this man, this God, the God, was coming to save us from ourselves. And, and so they knew that the, uh, this, this guy was from the line of David. And then these two men, though blind, <laughs> think about it, though they were blind, they saw Jesus as both Lord and Savior. Lord, have mercy on us. Wow. I mean, that's uh, pretty big. They understood that the messianic age was to uh, be the one which the blind would receive their sight. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Is the, so they cry, their cry for mercy was a confession of their faith in Jesus. And so think about it there. When they got louder and they didn't stop, I mean, this is kind of a firm thing that they... They were really solid in their, in their faith. They were not letting these people push them away. They knew, no, I'm getting to him. Have mercy was a typical cry of the beggar. So it was a confession of lowliness on these people, on these men. Even uh, dependence, poverty. 
I mean, other people could have offered them money or even kindness. And I'm sure that's what most people thought they were doing, but they didn't, they had forgotten about the crowd. Their eyes were focused. They were looking to the Savior. They only knew, they knew that he could make an everlasting effect on their life. I read another joke this week. This is a really dumb one. It's, I'm going to read it anyway. A man walked into a dentist's office and says, Excuse me, can you help me? I think I'm a moth. The dentist replied, You don't need a dentist, you need a psychiatrist. His office is next door. Yes, I know, says the man. So why did you come here? Asked the dentist. The guy replied, Because the light was on. Dumb joke, right? But I think we often make the same mistake. I think we often make the same mistake. Um, <laughs> this is a dumb joke, man. Uh, what the guy needed was a psychiatrist, right? And he was at a dentist's office. I mean, he went to the dentist, but Jesus is the great physician, isn't he? I mean, Jesus is the one who can fix everything. So every single one of us suffers from spiritual blindness. Of some sort. Every single one of us suffer from spiritual blindness. Maybe uh, a sin sickened disease of our soul. I mean, the symptoms maybe vary from each of us from person to person. Uh, maybe snarling, temp- snarling tempers. Worries, waves of worry. Growing guilt and fear, immorality, impatience, insecurity, broken hearts, broken homes, hopelessness could vary from each of us, amen? I mean, the list could go on and on, but, you know, whatever your symptoms are, here's the thing, Jesus is the cure. Jesus is the cure. You know, I think Jesus uh, loves encountering people like these two blind men. He loves it because he wants people who are willing to confess their spiritual blindness, you know, the need for mercy, like I told you about my story. He need, I, he, the Lord knew that I was in great need, not of anything but a spiritual cleansing. He knew that I needed that. And this is the thing. People who recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior and cry out to him in their times of desperation, this is when he hears. No matter what's going on in your life, um, if you cry out to Jesus for mercy and grace, you will have it. The Bible says, for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans ten thirteen, One of my top. Because that means it's for everybody. Not just those that we think should. Everyone. Everyone has that opportunity and that privilege. He came to die for all people. And then, you know, what happens when we cry out? We experience his compassion. And that's the last thing I uh, want us to look at, the last element of the story, the compassion of Jesus. I mean, Jesus does several things for these two men uh, that, they, they, that he still does for us, for me and you today. Uh, I want to highlight a couple of them. Uh, first, Jesus stops 
and stand still. <laughs> Scripture said, we just read it, when Jesus heard them, he stopped. <laughs> he stopped. Pretty important man Jesus is, isn't he? I mean, he's got a lot of going on. He's got places to go. He's got lives to touch. He's got people to see. You ever heard that story? I've got places to go, people to see. Boy, I don't got time for you. <laughs> Did I say it with my redneck voice? Good. Jesus is important. He was on his way to Jerusalem for that triumph entry into the main event, you know, what he was coming for. Yet, the, the cries of two blind men stopped him in his tracks. I mean, he just stopped, stood still. What did it say he did? He listened to their pleas. That's the thing. He still does today. He listens to our pleas. The book of Revelation describes a scene in heaven. I want us to look at it for a minute. Uh, Up until now, the heaven was full of noise, the songs of thousands of angels singing, worthy is the Lamb. The sounds of the four living creatures saying, holy, 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 shouting out the worshipers of of people dressed in robe, the saints of Christ, the voice of God. John says in the book of 8, it sounds like the mighty trumpet. It's pretty hectic, pretty loud, I would say, going on. But when we turn the pages, a few pages, chapter 8, let's look at it. Chapter 8 of the book of Revelations 1 through 4. Is that one still up there? Okay. Uh, Chapter 8, book of Revelations 1 through 4. I must be dreaming. Oh. When When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was a silence. Just a few pages later, after the holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb... The Lamb opened the seal, and there was a silence in heaven for about an hour and a half. Then I saw the seven angels who stood before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he, get, and he was given much incense to offer the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers, with the prayers of the saints, rose before God. From the hand of the angel. I mean, think about this puzzling scene. Scene underscores a simple truth that in heaven, the sound that the tr- that the, the, the sound of the saints trumps everything else, and there's silence. God hears our prayers. God hears our prayers. I don't care what's going on; He hears them. Think about it. All this going on, and God says, "Shh." I hear my people. I hear my saints praying. God's people praying. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't just stop and listen. What else did he do? Verse 32 says that he asked him, he says, what do you want from us? What do you want me to do, Jesus asked. Wouldn't you love for Jesus to ask you the same question? What do you want me to do for you? He has. He's asked you. Jesus told, the, the, told his disciples in John 14 that if you ask for anything in my name, it shall be given to you. 
And Jesus invites us to tell us what we want. Tell us what we need. But here's the catch. We can't just plop his name like an old bumper sticker on the end of every prayer to just, you know, hey, in his name, you know, I pick on Pastor Frank a lot of times because he says in his son's name, your son's name, you know. But we can't, you know, that's not what he's talking about. can't be selfish it can't be a selfish prayer or short-sighted or or maybe even sinful but here when you when your prayers line up with the characteristics of jesus christ and um he hears those prayers and he wants to answer them the next verse jesus said he had compassion on them the compassion the word compassion originally in, indicated the moving of the inner parts of the body like your stomach turning i know we all know how that so it was a deep movement it was a, it moved jesus deeply he cared i mean we live don't we in a world of hurting people I mean, people are hurting i got some statistics for you Americans buy over 3 million Tylenol each year. God knows your headache. There were, <laughs> there were 844,000 divorces last year. 844,000 divorces? I mean, God knows our heartache too, doesn't he? He knows where we're hurting. It's not a question. He knows. 844,000. I just can't. I mean, that's just wild. Just in the United States, too. That's just here. Jesus knows every heartache. He knows and he cares. He has compassion on you. And he knows that you have needs and he wants to answer them. Finally, the Bible says, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight. Verse 34. I mean, he, he could have healed them from a distance. He's done it before. You know, he, he, he could have just said, okay, your faith has healed you, and there you go. And they would have been like, okay, no, but he wanted to make it personal. He wanted to touch them. He wanted to make it a sincere moment for them, just like he does for us. He wants it to, to mean something. He reached out, touched them. I mean, I can't think of a single person in Scripture that was touched by Jesus and remained unchanged. I can't, there's no one in there. I mean, that's the kind of relationship that he wants with us, isn't it? That's the kind of relationship that he wants with each of us. He longs to connect with us and, and to touch us and to heal us and ultimately change us. That's what repentance means. It doesn't mean to feel sorry for what you've done. That might come with it. But repentance means to change your mind or turn to God. Something different. Turn to God. So in conclusion, Bartimaeus and his buddy, these blind guys looking for handouts on the dry, dusty streets of the city of Jericho met Jesus. <laughs> and, and after their encounter, they were never the same. And I, 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 you know, not only did Jesus restore their sight, but he gave them a new purpose and a new meaning for life. I mean, I know that's pretty big to be able to see again, but the Bible says that they immediately got up and followed him. I mean, I'd like to think they just didn't follow him into town, but they followed him the rest of their life. 
And they didn't forget what this man, the son of David, did for them. It was evident. We're not much different from Bartimaeus, you know. Spiritually speaking, we're just as blind and destitute as they were. But if we cry out in faith, if we cry out in faith, as they did, we too can experience this life-changing moment, especially when we encounter Christ. Pastor Frank, you ever heard of Fanny Crosby? Of course, he just spit it right out. What year? Oh, man, 1800-something. We're still singing that stuff. Here we are. Praise the Lord. I know it's good. I'm not going to pick on the hymns. But this, this person wrote a hymn, Son of David, hear my cry. Savior, do not pass me by. Touch these eyelids veiled in night. Turn their darkness into light. This is what I want to encourage you to let that song be a part of your prayer this week. Read it again. Son of David, hear my cry. Savior, do not pass me by. Touch these eyelids veiled in night. Turn their darkness into light. So maybe your heart's in, 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 uh, ready to receive Christ. Maybe your heart's encouraged to look toward him or maybe cry out to him. And, and, and that's what we do every single Sunday. We have an invitation time. And it's not to try to make you look weird in front of everybody else. And, of course, that feeling does come. But cry out to him. You know, Tara's going to come and lead us in song. And if you need to come and pray at the altar, or if you've got something that you need help with, come and see Pastor Frank or myself. Uh, we're not here to make you feel weird. We're here to help you learn about the Savior. And uh, that's what I invite you today to do. So let me, let me uh, ask you to stand, and Tara will lead us in song.